The Alliance for Innovation and Transformation is an alliance of paysetters, forward-thinking higher education CEOs committed to leading by example to show other higher education institutions how to innovate and transform their organizations in the face of unprecedented challenge and change. They offer learning, development, and networking opportunities focused on customer-driven value, innovation, transformation skills, and techniques, and approaches to help colleges and other organizations achieve the long-term sustainability necessary for their survival. AFITHigherEd.com is where you can check them out. AFITHigherEd.com Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to ed up on the Ed Up Experience podcast, where we make education your business. I'm your guest host for today, Bill Pepicello, former president of University of Phoenix and higher ed vagabond. Also, I host my own podcast weekly called Ed Up Insights, and am the author of the book Leadership on the Field of Play, which is available at Amazon. So today I am uh, substituting for Joe Saluscio, who normally uh, hosts these uh, episodes. So I'm sort of the substitute teacher for the day. So uh, no gum chewing and no throwing spitballs. Those are the rules uh, for substitution. Now with me today is a guest co-host, Matt Jacobson, who's the founder and CEO of Ducer Global School, which is a leader in education um, in Africa. And they, uh, he offers programs in business and marketing and entrepreneurship across some 27 African countries uh, through Ducere. So, um, and he w- apparently was on an earlier podcast. So you might want to look for that. It's, I'm, it's fascinating. I learned a little bit about it. So welcome, Matt. Thank you so much, Bill. Pleasure to be here. Great. And our guest today is Dr. Gene Coglin, who's the founder and CEO of Resilience Building Leadership Program, which I'm going to call RBLP, because I don't think I can say that too many times. <laughs> the acronym works. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and um, Dr. Gene Coglin is the founder and CEO. And as the CEO, He's responsible for establishing and promoting the the vision, purpose, mission, and core values of the company. And we're going to talk about all that in a bit. He's uh, dedicated himself to creating a worldwide community of practice that's committed to building and leading resilient teams, which is a a fascinating concept. Um, He earned his, uh, his doctorate in organizational leadership from Pepperdine University Graduate School of Education and Psychology. He's also a 20-year veteran of the Marine Corps and uh, did a, a stint for years with the Red Cross. So I did. Um, so welcome, Gene. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Bill. I'm glad to be here. Now, that's a, a, a fascinating resume. So I'd like to kick it off. If you could just tell us a little bit about... Um, how you got here? What was your journey like to get to where you are? Well, the, uh, in my formative years uh, were spent uh, in the military, in the United States uh, Marine Corps. I was in the Marines from uh, 1987 to 2007. Uh, so I, I retired uh, from the Marines about 16, about 16 years ago. Uh, un- unfortunately, also about 16 pounds ago, uh, I noticed other day, so I've got to do something about that. But uh, after I, I after I left uh, uh, that twenty year career in the Marines, uh, I worked for a couple of different defense contractors uh, supporting uh, military efforts around the world. Uh, then I went to work uh, for the Red Cross. I wanted to get some nonprofit uh, experience. I wanted a job. Uh, I was financially sound. I could take a job that didn't necessarily pay a lot of money, but I wanted to do something that was important, giving back. And I found that uh, I found that at the at the Red Cross. That was a, a great several years uh, that I spent there. During that time, I also went back to uh, school to earn my doctorate at uh, Pepperdine. And then after uh, the Red Cross, I worked for a large uh, multinational uh, Fortune 100 company called AECOM that builds infrastructure uh, 
uh, all over the world. And so uh, I had military experience, nonprofit experience, corporate experience, um, and the education that I got at Pepperdine all combined uh, led to the establishment of the Resilience Building uh, Leader Program, which, as you mentioned, is focused on this idea of building and leading resilient teams. And a so, resilient team, you mentioned it uh, being a, an interesting idea. So let me, let me define that uh, for the listeners. So we define a resilient team uh, as a team that can overcome adversity, adapt, and grow together as a result of that adversity. So sort of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, which is a phenomenon that everyone is uh, familiar with individually. My interest and the research that I did at, at Pepperdine was on the idea of collective resilience, that resilience could indeed uh, be a group phenomenon, a team phenomenon, that people could, uh, as a team working together, get through the hard times, get through adversity uh, in the workplace, overcome, adapt, and grow as a result. So get better at what they do, refine processes, refine uh, procedures, and, and so forth. And, and, and resilient teams are the key to both individual resilience and organizational resilience. Okay. Well, let me ask, ask one more question, and then Matt, I'll let you, uh, let you jump in. But uh, Gene, could you tell us just a little bit about how it works. I mean, how the certification works, what, what's the curriculum like? Yeah, uh, sure can. So what we did to give you a little history here, back in 2018, uh, we saw a gap in the marketplace that there were lots of management certifications, uh, project management, HR management, change management, IT management, but there was not a leadership certification in the marketplace. There was not a standardized exam that folks could take uh, to validate basic leadership skills. We saw that as a gap in the marketplace. So we set about to, uh, to fill that gap. And how we did that was we did research in 2018 and 2019, where we asked leaders in a variety of industries what they did on a day-to-day -day basis, actionable verbs, uh, actual leader tasks to build and lead resilient teams. And we defined, we needed to, when you do research, you need to narrow the scope uh, so that you uh, so that you get back focused data. So we said resilient teams, those specific skills that help them overcome adversity, adapt and grow. And from that, uh, we got, uh, we distilled that data into a taxonomy of 29 leader tasks that we bucketed into five separate competency domains, create a positive climate, develop cohesion, provide purpose, facilitate team learning and support organizational learning, and then mapped those competency domains to three levels of leadership, frontline supervisors, middle managers, senior leaders, and from that developed uh, the certification exams uh, that we issue orally, like uh, uh, using Teams or Zoom. Uh, instead of a written exam, we do it orally. Uh, because we determined that uh, the assessment of leader competency simply could not be done with true, false, multiple choice, fill in the blank, uh, like management exams can do. It required a conversation. So we developed a certification exam and training to get folks ready for that and uh, took it to market in 2020. And we've done thousands, uh, thousands of these certifications since then. Wow. Matt? Very, very cool. Um, I'm really excited about the work you're doing, Gene. I think it's really fascinating. And um, I've got tons of uh, areas I'd love to explore and, and dig into. But uh, well done, firstly. Congrats to you, because I think it's a really understated um, and critically important area. So one of the things I wanted to touch on was this kind of concept of things like resilience training versus technical training. And a lot of corporations and organizations focus on product training, technical skills. And so one anecdote I think that's really interesting, um, nothing to do with corporate training, but I think the principle is interesting. PISA is the international testing body for high schools, compares high school outcomes all over the world. And one of the things that was interesting when they did comparative tests of maths and science for kids all over the world is that um, America actually um, tested as one of the worst countries in the industrial countries, the one of the lowest scores for industrial countries. And um, 
but they ask some interesting questions. So they ask in all the countries, whether you're in South Korea or China or whatever, how do you feel you performed on the test? And what do you think the American kids say? They all think they perform the best. So there's this kind of concept of confidence and self-confidence and resilience, um, not so much the technical skills compared to the scores of, say, kids in, in South Korea. And a lot of those countries focus on the technical skills. And then there's something weird going on because, hang on, if America's got the lowest testing scores, why are they the ones that are producing Microsoft and Apple and SpaceX and Google and all of these entrepreneurial companies? So the question is, how important is the technical skills versus what's less talked about is building resilience, capacity, confidence? Yeah, that's a that's a great question and, and something that's uh, being discussed quite a bit uh, right now. Uh, Seth Godin just published uh, an article talking about soft skills, and uh, it, it, we usually refer to these as soft skills, leadership, uh, resilience, these things. Uh, and comparing those to the hard skills, the technical skills that you uh, just mentioned, he he doesn't like the term soft skills. A lot of folks uh, don't. He uh, you know people want to call them uh, real skills or human skills or the uh, the critical skills. And I think uh, what folks are finding out is that hard skills are important. Hard skills get you into the workforce. Hard skills get you your first job. But soft skills are what turn a job into a career. Soft skills, the skills that allow you to lead a team of people are those critical skills uh, that are gonna allow you to move up uh, the ladder in your job. If, you're, if you get a nursing degree, uh, your goal is not to work uh, as, a, as a floor nurse your entire uh, life. You're, ideally, you want to lead a team of nurses at, at some point. If you're in manufacturing or retail, uh, whatever the industry may be, the idea is that you want to move into uh, some sort of leadership role, supervisor role, and a manager role at some point. Those are those are the critical skills. And that's part of what we sought uh, to address back in, in 2018. We wanted to develop a program that could assess those basic leadership skills across a variety of industries. Our, our exam is industry agnostic. It and, and, and what we're finding now, I'll tell you what's especially interesting with the with so many uh, changes in the workforce, certain industries, uh, jobs are being eliminated and folks are not just upskilling, but they're reskilling into entirely new uh, careers. The, there's a lot of talk about the advent of artificial intelligence and how that's gonna impact so many jobs. What's, what, what folks need to remember about these soft skills, the leadership skills that we uh, that our partners, our college and university partners uh, train with our curriculum and that we assess with our exams, those skills are transferable across industry. So if you were a uh, manager in retail and the retail uh, in your small town has uh, gone away because Amazon uh, has, has dominated the market now and you're looking to reskill into a tech job those management skills that you learned in the retail world are going to serve you very well uh, in your new career uh, in tech. Those skills are going to allow you, uh, hopefully, to lead a team of technical uh, folks at some point in time. A good example of this are, are uh, military folks. I mentioned that I spent some time in the military. Most military folks, when they leave the service, don't get the opportunity to do in the civilian world what they did in the military world. I was an infantry officer, for example, not much applicability of that in the civilian world. <laughs> However, I was hired and uh, was able to start a new career based on my leadership skills, my leadership experience, those soft skills, the ability to organize a team and get them to work together. Uh, and I might add through the tough times to build and lead uh, resilient team. So uh, perhaps that's uh, in the scenario that you mentioned there with the different countries, perhaps that is uh, the difference is perhaps the, the emphasis on some of those uh, what we call soft skills uh, in addition to uh, those technical or hard skills, perhaps that's uh, what's what's causing that difference. Yeah, yeah. 
Agree. Um, I think it's always a combination, but uh, the risk is, you know, if you go too extreme on the technical skills and you don't cover the interpersonal skills, um, you're never going to have those leadership qualities that that are so important. Um, I got another um, uh, sort of area I was thinking about with your programs. Um, you mentioned uh, resilience, overcoming adversity. So you use the definition of adversity, which is, I guess, the technical you know definition for um, you know what resilience means, but how how much more broad do your programs operate in not necessarily adversity, you know, um, things that are negative, but just change in general? So you think about something like artificial intelligence is very topical at the moment, chat GPT. It's not necessarily an adverse thing, but it's certainly something that's going to impact on the way we work and is going to cause change. And I feel like um, certainly in our own organization, you hear a lot of times from staff, you know, staff don't like change and Staff are a bit resistant to change. And I think that change is inevitable. And I love the mindset of how do you embrace change and see change as an opportunity. So I wonder if that's part of what resilience training can help support. Indeed, it is. Um, uh, that's a brilliant, that's a brilliant question, uh, Matt. And change is change is hard. Uh, you, you mentioned sort of the uh the general uh thought on change in the workplace from most people is that it's hard. Some people uh, see it as opportunity and they should. And of course, the idea is to get many more people uh, seeing it the same way. One of our competency domains, the one that's introduced at the middle manager uh, or assessed at the middle manager level is facilitate team learning. And this uh, competency domain focuses on exactly that, uh, helping the team uh, learn from their experiences to improve, uh, to innovate, to solve problems, easy problems, wicked problems, to embrace uh, change. Uh, one of the leader tasks in that competency domain is to build new mental models. Change in the workplace requires that people build new mental models, that we're not going to do things the old way, we're going to do them uh, this this new way. And that is a, that is a type of adversity. It's uh, It's it causes people stress and anxiety when they have to learn how to do things a different way. And, and what, what we're finding, we've been at this a while now, certified thousands of people, and we have folks recertifying now. And what some of the folks that are recertifying are telling us is that they realize now that one of the reasons they need to build and lead resilient teams is that they themselves are indeed the source of some of the adversity in the workplace because they're setting high standards they're asking people to uh, fix things that aren't broken uh, because they see that uh, a process or a procedure, a product or a service isn't necessarily inadequate or bad or broken, but the potential exists to make it better. And they're trying to build a world-class organization. And so they're asking their employees to fix things that aren't broken. And that can be stressful, especially when those same employees that you're asking to uh, to take a new look at something and to make it better uh, may have been the ones that created that process in the first place. And so they have a, some attachment to it. And so uh, asking them to change can be, uh, can, can raise stress levels and produce, uh, produce uh, anxiety. So indeed we do address uh, change uh, in the curriculum that's taught at the with our college and university partners. We assess that. And uh, that is a significant source of adversity uh, across all across all industry uh, types, uh, stress and stress and anxiety, uh, adversity in the workplace isn't limited to uh, law enforcement or or nurses uh, on the front line of the COVID crisis. It's it's everyone uh, runs into uh, some adversity uh, in their in their workplace. Yeah, yeah. Um... And Bill, jump in anytime if if you want, because otherwise I'm going to just keep asking questions for this. <laughs> okay, then I am going to jump in because I've got a million questions too. Uh, the last part of this conversation is is fascinating because I talk about it a lot um, in my book, which is called Leadership on the Field of Play, available at Amazon. There's another plug. Um, since I'm co-host, since I'm co uh, you know filling in today, I get to do that. But one of the things that I noticed. Um, in leadership is exactly what you were talking about, Gene. And that is that when someone comes into a new position, they forget that there were people there doing things before they had that position. And that just because things are different 
doesn't mean they're they're wrong and something may or may not need to be uh, need to be fixed and it it circles back to what we, you were talking about on uh, on soft skills because that's where the soft skills come in being able to you know look at the logic bubbles of the people you're working with and trying to figure out why they're doing uh, what they're doing um, one of the things i noticed is that um, in your certification exam you focus in three areas facts concepts and process which I think are, you know, are, are really, really key. And then that comes through the lens of, of the soft skills. Uh, but I am, I am getting to a question here. It's not necessarily a lecture. Um, but, you know, the, what you're looking at is, is um, improving supervisors and managers and, and senior leaders. Do you see that as as separate areas, or do you think there's a progression from one to the next? And what I'm really asking you is, do you think leaders are made or are they born? Uh, boy, that's the age-old question, isn't it? Are leaders yeah. made or are they born? Uh, I think I think some folks are born with the aptitude, but leaders are indeed uh, made. Uh, that's a fact. Uh, leaders are made. You leaders are made. Uh, through uh, experience and through training, uh, through self-study, through lifelong learning, uh, and the leadership journey uh, is never ending. I'm 60 and I'm still working on it. Uh, and so I, I, I defy somebody uh, to argue that they've got it all. They've got it all figured out. So uh, yes, indeed, we do. We we uh, on the certification exam, which is an oral exam. Uh, there are three types of knowledge, and for the uh, there's a lot of academics that are going to recognize this. It's out of Bloom's taxonomy: that factual knowledge, conceptual knowledge, and procedural knowledge. Knowing uh, key terms and ideas that's factual. Understanding the relationship between key terms and ideas is conceptual, and how things actually happen in the real world of work is procedural. So it's the what, the why, and the how. What does this mean? Why is it important? How does it actually happen? That's how we do uh, the oral exam. So your question about uh, what a frontline supervisor uh, needs to know and what they do as compared to a middle manager and a senior leader. Indeed, it is progressive. What we found out with those five competency domains that we bucketed the 29 leader tasks into is that the frontline supervisor comes into contact with 21 of those 29. Uh, as a frontline supervisor, the basics of leadership that lay the foundation uh, that allow uh, leaders to build uh, psychological safety and the things that are so important to, uh, to uh, encourage constructive dialogue around uh, change uh, and other uh, issues. And so things, uh, leader tasks like earn trust, earn being the operative word, treat people with respect, have fun in the workplace, enforce accountability, delegate responsibility, empower decision-making, keep people focused on the mission during times of adversity. We even have a leader task that came out of the research called that's called be there when the going gets tough. And what we mean by that is, uh, you know, if it's Black Friday uh, at the Walmart and you're in charge of the cashiers, uh, where you need to be uh, is out on the floor. Uh, next to those cashiers that are working, not necessarily taking over their job, but helping them, uh, showing support for them, just being there uh, for the emotional support so they can see you is where you need to be. Be there when the going gets tough. So first, uh, frontline supervisors are introduced to all of these leader tasks very early in their career, uh, which is why uh, getting leadership training early uh, is so important. The military does this, obviously. Uh, all organizations uh, should look to do this, and that's why we developed the program. So those those frontline skills, those those leadership skills for frontline supervisors, you learn them initially uh, early in your career. And what we found is they actually become more important as you progress. So we assess the middle manager on all of the frontline skills plus some additional. We assess the senior leader on all of those 
and some additional because they never go out of style. Uh, treating people with respect is just as important for a frontline supervisor in a manufacturing facility. Uh, it's also uh, important for the CEO uh, of a company, uh, for uh, the, uh, the president of a, of a university, for the chief of police or, or what have you. And so those skills are learned early and they become more and more important as you progress uh, through your career. That's it's no secret that there are considerable challenges facing higher education right now. The teaching and learning methods of the past are becoming obsolete, and time-worn processes have all but lost their effectiveness. No longer will the take-no-action or move-forward-with-incremental-change mindsets sustain operations. Colleges are closing their doors at an alarming rate, and some are teetering on the edge of existence. It's time to join the Alliance, the Alliance for Innovation and Transformation better known as AFIT. Check them out at afithighered.com. That's A-F-I-T, highered.com. If you want to be at the forefront of technology and innovation in education, it's time to look at AFIT. Terrific. One, at one point I want to really follow up on, because I think it's important when you're talking about the people being out next to the cashiers. One of the things that I impress, and I, I do a little bit of, of mentoring with, uh, with folks who are coming up through the ranks, and I always tell them, you know, people say, well, you know, 90% um, of, of life is just showing up. Um, and certainly that's true in, in leadership. But what's important for people to notice or to understand is when you do show up in hard times, people notice but they also notice when you don't. And I think that's what a lot of people miss. Um, yeah. is, uh, and I had, have had significant experience with that with some of my, with some of my people is that when I was still, uh, when I was still somebody. I, I absolutely agree. Some of the best lessons uh, in leadership that you learn are from uh, those supervisors and managers that were not very good at what they uh, do the curriculum that we developed for our college and university uh, partners uh, is an experiential uh, based on experience an experiential learning methodology a flipped classroom so uh, students uh, throughout the seven week course will uh, go through the curriculum they'll do some uh, supporting reading articles and so forth but then the bulk of it is is answering reflection questions where they take a hard look at their own unique leader follower experience. And in those reflection questions, uh, you'll find uh, some that sound exactly like you just uh, put. Have you ever worked for a leader that wasn't there when the going got tough? And how did that impact uh, your attitude toward the leader? How did that impact team cohesion and so forth? What were you willing to give that leader uh, 100% uh, effort? I, I, I like to say that the true measure, the best measure of a team is how well it performs under pressure. And I think that's true across all industries. And I point out to folks that uh, you can't uh, demand uh, 100%. I, folks tell me I demand 100% out of my team. And I say, well, bless your heart, that's, that's cute. But that's, that's not how the real world works. You can demand all you want. The fact is that people make a conscious decision to give 100% every day at work. And you, know, you really can't tell the difference between 85 and 90. If you go to work tomorrow, uh, Bill, and you give 85%, folks probably aren't gonna notice. Only you are gonna know. Uh, only Matt is gonna know whether he's giving 100% at any given time. And 100% is what we need when the going gets tough, when during adverse times, during, uh, the, uh, the trying to implement a change initiative, trying to get through a tough uh, closing of a project, trying to get through uh, a disaster, uh, whatever your job may be, 100% is what's required. Yeah. Let me do one more follow-up and I'll throw it back to you, uh, Matt. Um, do you ever find as, as you're working with folks at different levels that sometimes someone reaches their level of competence maybe in a, in a middle management and they really don't have what it takes to go on. And not that that's a bad thing, but um, do you find the people sort of get, you know, they find their level of competence? I, I certainly do. I, I think that's, uh, 
yes. Uh, so that you know the other, you know the the other side of that would be: is it possible for everyone uh, to develop into a great leader? And the realistic answer to that is probably uh, probably not. Uh, the and, and the reason is because you're not born with it. It's it's not intuitive. It has to be trained and it has to be learned. So if you're not a good student, if you're not a uh, just like if you don't apply yourself in chemistry, you're not going to become a good chemist. If you don't apply yourself in the study of leadership, in the study of these uh, these skills, in the study of the human uh, condition, if you, and 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 I'll tell you another key point here is if you don't have genuine concern for those that you lead, if you don't uh, have genuine concern for people, if if you look at them more as uh, Cogs in a wheel, uh, for example, instead of uh, instead of the people uh, that they are, then you're not going to reach you're not going to reach the potential that you you could have. So no, not everyone is cut out uh, to be a great. Uh, or, well, I don't know that I'd say not everyone is cut out. Not everyone will become a great leader either because of the absence of good training uh, or the absence of effort that they put into into doing it. Right. Okay, I'll let you back in, Matt. Oh, thanks so much. Um, <laughs> that's a great question, I thought, Bill, um, and really interesting. And the other side is whether there's the technical capability um, and whether someone can be trained to go further. But there's also a question of, from an individual perspective, is that even the right fit for them? And is that something that they want? Because um, not all um, uh, staff and managers want to become senior leaders. Um, and so you don't want to ever be putting a thing, from my perspective anyway, a square peg into a round hole, but it's really understanding um, what the individual's kind of goals are, which kind of leads into another area I wanted to chat about. So, Gene, you can't hide your enthusiasm and passion and clear love of what you're doing. You you obviously really believe in what you're doing and you're helping a lot of people and and a lot of organisations, which is so, so fantastic. Um on the other hand, I was at a program at uh, Harvard on campus. It was an executive leadership program. It was about 100 people, senior executives from the biggest companies from all over the world. And so on paper and on resume, you think, wow, these, but these guys are it. You know, they've done it. They've achieved it. They're all super successful. And I was, it was a real eye-opener for me because one of the biggest themes that came through from these um, leaders of different departments, you know, from around the world in these companies is, yeah, but I'm kind of really trying to find what I really want to be doing and my passion and what my real purpose is. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. I thought you figured it out if you're leading, you know, um, 2,000 people at Coca-Cola or across Asia or whatever whatever this individual's um, role is. Um, so this uh, concept of passion and purpose is, is really critical. And I know that's part of your training. So it's not just about the adversity and coming um, through in adverse times, but can you talk a little bit about the importance and what you support in identifying purpose, the importance of purpose? Yeah, well, that's a that's a good question. And I'm gonna I'm gonna address. Uh, you mentioned the executive leadership uh, program, and uh, real quick, I'll I'll say that one of the things we noticed back in 2018 when we identified this gap in the marketplace is that there was plenty of training like that for executive leaders, a training at Harvard, training at Cornell, all of the great schools have executive leadership programs. And I thought to myself, well, these are probably the folks that need it the least. And, uh, and, and that's who the focus is on. So that's why we wanted to develop a brilliance at the basics program that focused at the frontline supervisor, middle manager level. We do have a senior leader certification, uh, but if we do uh, none of those next year and we do lots of frontline supervisors, I'll be plenty uh, I'll be plenty happy. So I did want to get that out at first. We we we, def we need to spend more time focusing on the front line and the front line uh, supervisors and middle managers. As regards purpose, uh, what our research showed uh, uh, back in 2018 and 2019 uh, was. The, the best way to provide purpose uh, for frontline super, supervisors or for frontline workers, uh, and I'll let you, uh, we can decide together whether this carries through uh, your entire career, but it was to, uh, to challenge uh, folks. People, uh, you know, if you, most people talk about uh, providing purpose to employees by getting them to buy into what the organization does, and, you know, that works if you're uh, the Red Cross where I worked, or Doctors Without Borders, or maybe you're uh, you know, solve uh, uh, curing cancer or what have you. Uh, 
but a lot of folks work jobs, uh, bureaucratic jobs for the government or, 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 or retail jobs that they may not find super, that the mission of the company uh, to be uh, overly exciting or, or you know, to be able to get behind. So if you can get folks to, uh, to buy into the organization's mission and vision, that's great. Uh, but what we found, what our research showed is that if you want to provide purpose in the workplace, if you want people to look forward to showing up, to be excited about what they do, they need to be challenged. They need to have opportunities uh, for personal and professional growth in the workplace. We spend 40 hours a week, most of us minimal, uh, at work. Uh, we spend more time at work than we do uh, with our families, unfortunately. And so work uh, needs to provide uh, challenge. It needs to provide opportunities for personal and professional growth. It needs to be the vehicle that helps a person become a better version uh, of themselves, the uh, version of themselves uh, that, that rises, raises them into the middle class or the upper middle class that allows them to, to raise a family and, and leave a legacy uh, better than was left uh, to them. So what we found out was it's about it's about a challenge, about a personal and professional growth. And if you're in a if you're in a role where you're not uh, being challenged, what we found is that people lose uh, purpose. Uh, they don't. Uh, they're not all in at the organization uh, anymore. So I don't know. Uh, I can tell you, in my for me, I have. I have, uh, I certainly have a passion for what I'm doing, uh, and it's because I'm I'm being challenged. I've, I've you know, we've built this program. Uh, we're, you know, we're uh, trying to uh, take it uh, all across the country. We're partnering with a lot of great colleges and universities across and in Canada now that are teaching our programs. This is all very challenging. I'm learning. Uh, you know, uh, you know, there's no CEO in a box uh, that you can take <laughs> off the shelf. You have to learn these things uh, through trial and error, through experiential learning. Uh, we, you know, we 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 talk as a team. We talk about uh, the, the problems we face. We make decisions. We put those into action, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. But we learn. Uh, regardless, and we get better and better at what we do. So, because I'm being challenged so much, uh, I find a lot of purpose in the work that I'm doing. I'm also bought into uh, the organization's uh, mission and vision, and certainly that helps. But I think I think what keeps people motivated uh, is challenge. I think I, not everybody, I suppose. Maybe there are some people that don't want to be challenged, uh, but you should get to know your team and know who that is. And maybe if they don't want to be challenged, maybe they're not, uh, maybe they're right for your team, but maybe they're not. Right. Uh, just to follow up on, on your, your partnerships, could you talk a little bit about it? Because we haven't got to that part of the how, and that's, you know, who do you partner with and, and how do you go about doing that? And, and who, who does the training? Yeah. So uh, we partner with uh, colleges and universities across the uh, country in Canada. Uh, we're also looking at a university uh, right now in Poland, an English-speaking university that may partner with us. Uh, but the way it works, the model is that we provide uh, the curriculum. Uh, it's called Building and Leading Resilient Teams. It's a seven-week certificate program that we developed. requires six hours of student prep each week, uh, three hours in the classroom, small cohort, about 12 is the right size. Uh, with a very good uh, instructor uh, that can lead a, a three-hour uh, discussion uh, about those leader tasks and supporting concepts. We provide the curriculum uh, to the universities. They teach it uh, to their, uh, in, in their uh, parts of the, the country. And then that fills our sales funnel, if you will. Folks that take the training are now qualified to sit for the exam. And some of those will come and sit for the exam uh, with us. Not all of them, uh, but some of them. And so we've partnered with uh, colleges and universities like Humber College uh, in Toronto, Canada, Suffolk University in Boston, Virginia Tech and R1 uh, Research University, uh, the University of Charleston in Charleston, West Virginia, Georgia Southern University, Western Kentucky. Uh, we're starting to partner with community colleges as well, Albany, Technical College uh, in Georgia, Big Sandy Community College uh, in Kentucky, Ashland Community and Technical College also 
in Kentucky, the University of West Georgia, University of Wisconsin Stout, Avila in Kansas City, the University of Texas at San Antonio, Texas A&M, on and on and on. Uh, and we have a lot more universities, uh, colleges and universities in the queue uh, working their way uh, to becoming partners. So they teach typically uh, through their uh, continuing education um, programs initially, uh, offering, offering it to adult uh, learners, uh, workforce development uh, type of offering. But what's very interesting, uh, and I know Matt will appreciate this, is that they're starting to look now at offering this to their undergrads because what they're realizing is that most of their undergrad programs don't touch on any team building or leadership. They don't touch on those skills that we talked about earlier that are in so important to complement the hard skills. So if you're an accountant, if you're a, a marketing major, if you're a if you're a chemist, if you're a nurse, whatever, or in two-year degrees, uh, if you're a, a phlebotomy expert, if you've learned an HVAC uh, trade, uh, allowing them, offering them the opportunity to take this seven-week certificate program on top of what we call a stacking of credentials to stack this micro-credential seven weeks on top of their degree program, uh, they're starting to look at uh, very heavily. In fact, we're running some uh, tests, uh, some pilots uh, with that, and we believe it's gonna be uh, a popular offering. You should learn about team building. You should learn about leadership before you enter the workforce. You need these skills prior to becoming a frontline supervisor. And in fact, if you get these skills early, your likelihood of becoming a supervisor are exponentially, uh, exponentially higher. And what's interesting is this, the oral certification exam that we do serves as interview preparation uh, for young folks that are looking for that first job. So you spend uh, an hour and a half, two and a half hours in an oral exam uh, explaining the what, why, and how of leader concepts uh, of team building you're much better prepared uh, to sit for that uh, interview when the time comes. And you know what separates folks during an interview isn't the hard skills. They all just graduated. They all have the same degree. Hard skills are fairly easy to ascertain. You read the resume, you understand it. Most interviews are trying to get after the people skills. You're trying to assess a person's potential to fit into the culture, to, to potentially be a leader at some time. Uh, and we found uh, the feedback we're getting is that our this training and our oral exams uh, prepare people well for that. So we're we're looking towards a day when a lot uh, of undergrads, uh, two year, four year uh, students are going to be taking this training, sitting for this certification exam prior uh, to entering the workforce. Oh, great. Well, Matt, I'll give you one last shot here before I take us home. Yeah, I think that uh, I do love what you were just talking about, Gene. I think that's amazing to bring these sorts of skills in younger. And uh, I know you're focused more on the sort of university corporate market, <clears throat> but I was just thinking, and I don't know if there's other organizations that you might partner with at a younger age, but honestly, I think this is so important at elementary school for teenagers, you know, dealing with um, cyber bullying, dealing with, you know, so much change that's going on, anxiety um, for kids, feeling like you have to fit in. And I mean, I'm sure, you know, there's uh, so much need in the senior management market, but um, I think it's just as critical your skills, um, you know, for 10 year old kids um, in school. Well, since you've, uh, since you've opened it up, I am going, we are going to preview something here uh, on the on the on the setup podcast, uh, this is a coming soon that not uh, only uh, some insiders here at RBLP uh, know about, but in 2024 uh, we will be early 2024 uh, first uh, first quarter calendar year 2024. Uh, we will be unveiling uh, a companion curriculum. Uh, using essentially the same leader task, particularly those in the first three competency domains of create a positive climate, develop cohesion, and provide purpose. The curriculum is going to be tailored to high school students. Uh, this is going to be part of our corporate social responsibility, our giving back program. We are going to make that curriculum available to high schools all over the country, 
all over the world, I suppose, if they uh, want it. We are going to make it available to them and provide some support for the implementation of that uh, leadership curriculum uh, at no cost uh, for high school students uh, all over. We believe uh, exactly as you pointed out there, uh, Matt, that 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 uh, it's not it's not too early uh, to start talking uh, about earning trust, treating people with respect, empowering decision making, and being there when the going gets tough. All of these tasks are are essential uh, uh, to to introduce early to to high school students. So uh, I hadn't planned. On talking about that, uh, I planned on making a bigger, uh, uh, you know, uh, doing a press release on this later, which I'm sure we'll still do. But now the cat is the cat is uh, the cat is out of the bag. So look for that uh, coming soon. We're working with some of our community college partners uh, to serve as uh, uh, mentors uh, to those high schools in their area. So whoever's teaching it uh, at the community college level. Uh, we'll be working with the high schools uh, that are teaching it at their level. There'll be uh, this is going to be a completely pro bono uh, program. Uh, high school uh, teachers will not need to uh, spend any money to get certified. We're simply going to provide the curriculum and some good guidance, supporting materials, uh, and let them uh, let them teach it uh, at the college at, at the high school level. And and they'll be able to say that you know listen. Uh, students, this is the same course that's being taught uh, at the University of Texas. This is this is real world stuff that's, uh, and they'll be able to drive home why, why it's important that these are work skills, uh, Matt. These are not just, you know, be a good high school student skills. These are the skills you need to build a career later on, to turn a job into a career. These are the skills. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. That's great. Congrats. That's fantastic. We're, this yeah, is going to be a big deal. We're looking forward to it. Yeah. Oh, it's excellent. Folks, you heard it here first. <laughs> now, breaking news. You don't get this kind of stuff when Joe Sluice Joe's hosting. <laughs> you get it when I'm on here. Well, Gene, I've got to uh, sort of start to, to wrap this down. There were two questions we always ask our guests at the end of every episode. One is, what else... Um, would you like to say that we haven't covered today? If there's anything else you'd like to uh, to tell us, and the second is, where do you see the future of higher education going? Uh, I'll answer. Uh, I'll answer the the second question first. Where do I see the future of higher education going? I, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of talk uh, right now uh, about the future of higher education enrollments. Uh, enrollments are down. Uh, you know, are are are, this, are schools actually preparing people for the jobs of the future? There are a lot of states that have eliminated uh, degree requirements for uh, for many of their uh, for many of their uh, positions. So I think I think higher education uh, is going to uh, evolve to meet these uh, challenges. Uh, it always has. It always will. I don't think higher education will look exactly like in 20 years will look exactly uh, like it looks today. I think the I think the hard questions that are being asked, you know, are these degree programs actually preparing students for the workforce? Uh, are these uh, what's the return on investment, uh, not just for the student, but for the society and for government that helps to uh, make these things possible or community colleges are supported, uh, you know, in large part by, by tax dollars. The federal government, uh, you know, pours a lot of workforce development uh, funding into schools. So these are all, these are all good questions. And I think uh, accountability is good. I'm confident that, that the, uh, that higher ed uh, will adjust as it needs to, to ensure that what, that what they're giving to the students makes sense. Uh, it's a competitive market. Uh, you know, and so if they, I know that they will because they have to, they have to be able to make the changes uh, that make sense uh, for students. So my outlook for higher education uh, is bright. Uh, I think, uh, I think it has a future. I think those that uh, are, are, are sounding its demise uh, are mistaken. Uh, and I, I would bet on it. Uh, the second, the first question, uh, uh, 
uh, I would, uh, I'll give a, uh, you gave a plug earlier on a book and I'm going to give a plug uh, now. So I would ask people to uh, visit us online at rblp.com, rblp.com. You can type rblp into Google uh, and the first, you know, 40 pages are results about us. If you type rblp into LinkedIn, it will return uh, thousands uh, of results uh, you know, people that are certified, people talking about uh, the program and so forth. So I uh, invite people to come and check us out. If you uh, type RBLP into LinkedIn and click the people tab, there's about a thousand people in there uh, that are identifying as having earned this certification. Of course, not everyone's in LinkedIn, uh, but you may be connected uh, to one of those folks. And I would ask you to reach out to them and ask them what they, what they thought about the program. Don't don't ask us. Ask somebody uh, that's a uh, that's a user. I, I will mention that we um, we're very proud of this. We raised some venture capital uh, last year to help us uh, expand the program, uh, and we uh, we did that through a crowdfunding uh, venture capital uh, raise on one of the popular platforms, and uh, we raised what we were looking for a uh, million dollars. Uh, in venture capital, 98% of which came from people that had been trained and certified uh, by us. And so we're very proud of the fact that those that have the most experience with our program were willing to put, uh, willing to invest their money uh, in that program. And that's what's given us the latitude uh, to partner with all of these, uh, all of these universities, which is a uh, a lengthy process, as you might imagine, to, to stand up a new course at a university it could take six or six or eight months before anyone is trained and ready uh, to sit for our exam. So visit us on the web, ask people questions about uh, what they do, and feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to chat about these topics uh, with anybody that's interested. Well, thanks a lot. Well, with that, I think we're going to we're going to wrap up here. And I first want to thank my uh, guest co-host, Matt Jacobson, who is the founder and CEO of Ducera Global Business School. I'm sort of I'm, I'm humbled today because I'm I'm on uh, the podcast with founders and CEOs. And uh, here I sit uh, retired. But uh, Matt, thanks very much. Appreciate your uh, your participation today. Thank you, Bill. Absolutely a pleasure chatting with both of you. And thanks, our Matt. Guest and our guest was Dr. Gene Coughlin, founder and CEO of Resilience Building Leadership Program. And you can, uh, as we know, go online there. Um, and again, we'll uh, remind you that I'm filling in for Dr. Joe Saluscio, who is off doing God knows what, God knows where. Um, but don't worry, Joe, I'm in complete control of what's going on. So I'll thank you, uh, you both again. It was a, it was a great experience. And with that, folks, you have ed up. The Alliance for Innovation and Transformation is an alliance of paysetters, forward-thinking higher education CEOs committed to leading by example to show other higher education institutions how to innovate and transform their organizations in the face of unprecedented challenge and change. They offer learning, development, and networking opportunities focused on customer-driven value, innovation, transformation skills, and techniques, and approaches to help colleges and other organizations achieve the long-term sustainability necessary for their survival. AFITHigherEd.com is where you can check them out. AFITHigherEd.com.